Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Kick it naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe, and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer, my boss, a man wearing a blue shirt. Blue shirt man is what I like to be called. Uh, that's T.C., and we also have with us Hottie Patati Will Schmidt today. Hi. Fitness trainer to the stars. I try. Back from Tahoe looking tanned. Thanks. I and we have him in studio. We, 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 this is our second time doing this show, and the last time that we did it, Will was on location, and... He was chased by the police, and he yeah, had a run-in with a coyote, and it was a it was, it was a mess. It was mayhem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna go for a mayhem-free episode. Ready? We're gonna break. try. Today's episode is about bloating, and if any of you have had this before, you know how bad it sucks. Um, if you haven't liked us yet on Facebook, that's what you need to do right now. Go to Kick It In The Nuts. That's where we post all of our show topics every week, and you guys can ask your questions or even give us suggestions for show topics that you want to hear about. I've, bl- I've, been, I've had bloating problems before. I can, I can hang out with well, cool kids, Well, your ego too. doesn't count. Oh. Uh-huh. Never mind. Uh, mm. Bloated ego. Yeah. Uh, so let's, I get it. Let's just get right into questions um, because I think that we're going to explain the basics with a lot of these questions at the beginning. But we're going to help some people find some relief to this problem because uh, usually what we're going to do is we're going to explain the basic stuff because with 80% of people that deal with bloating stuff, they're able to fix it very quickly mm. and without a whole lot of effort. Um but we're also going to get into some more complicated things because some people, it's a lot harder than that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not fat. I'm just bloated mm-hmm. for 42 years. <laughs> okay, Henry, why does a good steak feel like it sits in my stomach for three days? It's probably not a good steak. Yeah, it was or a... Is you, you didn't pay enough for that steak. I think I just recycled one of your jokes. Uh-huh. Um, so let's look at what happens when protein comes in the body and why it might, because it, it might feel like it's sitting there for three days, because it might. It could. I think it could. You know, for some people with hypochloridia or no stomach acid, the uh, the amount of time that food sits in the stomach depends on the pH of the stomach. And the pH of the stomach depends largely on what little microorganisms might be in there and your own production of hydrochloric acid. So when your stomach's working right, it creates plenty of hydrochloric acid, and it sufficiently uh, melts the food in combination with the work of some other enzymes. And that also, that change in pH triggers the valves of the stomach to eventually uh, create gastric emptying, where it dumps the acidified food into the start of the small intestine. And it's triggered by the pH getting low enough. So if you're not making enough hydrochloric acid, it's not going to really hit that trigger. And it's just going to kind of sit there and sit there and ferment and rot. So it could feel uncomfortable for a long time if you don't have enough stomach acid to to make that whole thing happen right. Right. And when when the the stomach acid doesn't show up, which we'll talk about in a minute why that would happen, um, but the food has to break down in some way. So it does that by rotting and fermenting. 
and eventually it breaks down enough to where it can move out of the stomach. But in that rotting and fermenting process, you're creating all these gases and toxins that are causing more expansion in either the stomach or the intestinal tract, which can cause bloating to be even worse. Mm-hmm. So let's look at some reasons why someone might not be making enough stomach acid. It could be on a PPI. Right. So that was, you know, many years ago when the doctors were trying to help fix me and I was on all those acid reflux drugs. Man, if I had a steak, I was just, uh, I didn't like anybody. Like Mm. I was just, I felt horrible for days because it was just bleh. (laughs) Right. So a PPI, if you don't know, that is a proton pump inhibitor. So it, it inhibits hydrogen, which is a proton, from being able to join with chloride to make hydrochloric acid. And you can take those... Uh, and they will totally effectively prevent your body from being able to digest food. Um, but you can also, and very common, is for people to take antacids, which uh, are more, they don't stop the formation of hydrochloric acid, but they do neutralize it, like Tums, for example. Just highly alkaline things like baking soda could also be used and is a common ingredient in other antacid tablets. And they chemically neutralize the acid that your stomach makes. And a lot of it, the stuff that we think has to do with too much acid in the stomach, like all these acid reflux symptoms that people are taking antacids for, is really just a very confused um, perspective on the matter where when we experience acid reflux or bloating or burping, regurgitation of the food contents or heartburn, those are all usually signs and symptoms of not enough hydrochloric acid in the stomach, but our whole mainstream approach to any of those symptoms occurring is thinking that there's too much acid. So people take antacids or proton pump inhibitors to neutralize the little bit of acid that is there. And um, it turns off digestion and allows bacteria to thrive in the stomach, which create even more off gases and more bloating and more indigestion. Yeah, so it's a confused viewpoint, but it's also a very profitable viewpoint Mm. um, for the people who are selling those drugs. And so the confusion comes in because a person will experience reflux, and then they'll take that drug, and they they don't have reflux anymore. So why is that? They don't feel the reflux. Right. Yeah. Which is different than, so you neutralize a little bit of acid so that burning pain that you were feeling from the regurgitation in the stomach stops, but you, you're still actually usually having regurgitation occur. You just don't feel the burn anymore. And it is still doing damage because there's still enzymes that are in your stomach that will work on your esophagus and break down that tissue. So you're not just getting away with it. You know, right. you're, you're still damaging your esophagus. And you're still not, you're even less digesting your food. So you're going to create nutrient deficiencies and all the food that you ingest is not going to get sterilized and it's not going to get broken down right. So it's going to, it can cause a lot of different problems. So even though you may relieve the symptom of heartburn, you are, you're creating other problems that um, will have serious consequences. Right. And so a lot of people will be confused because they'll think, well, I don't have a lack of stomach acid because I need drugs because I have too much because I get acid reflux. But the reality is that um, we also have another episode on just acid reflux that you can listen to that explains that when most people with acid reflux, unless they have a hiatal hernia, that um, if they increase the level of stomach, or the level of acid in their stomach to the point that it can trigger the valve at the top of their stomach to close once food is in there, then that reflux will stop. So we teach all about that in that other episode if you need to check that out. Mm -hmm. 
All right, and just for the record, they say John Wayne had about 10 pounds of meat in his colon when he died. So he needed some HCL. Yep. Okay. Renette, Eldon, Missouri. What is the difference between bloating and water retention? I think I can tell like a difference with like water retention is my rings and my fingers and my hands and my feet, and bloating is my stomach. Mm, Yeah. That's why I can think. I agree. In your symptom wise. Yeah, in my symptoms, yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, we should do another episode just on like swelling issues if we haven't already, like edema, inflammation. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, because um, people hate looking puffy. Mm-hmm. But it happens for, it can be related to indigestion and digestive problems creating body chemistry imbalances. But there's, there's a whole different set of things that need to be talked about in what causes tissues to swell or edema that has much more to do with energy production, insulin levels, uh, where electrolytes are going and why. But to classify it, since we're mostly talking about bloating and not just water retention, um, it's, I think what you said was helpful, Kenna, where we talked about uh, uh, edema or swelling issues being more in like your extremities or your face mm-hmm. looking puffy as opposed to in your upper abdomen, which is bloating of the stomach is how we're talking about it anyway. Cool. Carol, bloating is also a huge symptom of stomach bacteria. Correct, Carol. Good job. So let's talk about why someone who's bloating would have a lot of bacteria. Mm-hmm. So um, usually a hydrochloric acid keeps the pH of your stomach really low, like around one or two, which would burn your hand or your esophagus. <laughs> right. um, so that is... Usually if you get the pH below 4 or 4.5, it kills off most bacteria that would otherwise live in there. But when you don't have that low of a pH and the pH is closer to like 5 or even 6 or even neutral, then bacteria can thrive. And, and just like a little like sea monkey, yeah. you know, they'll multiply and multiply. And they, if you've ever seen like beer with bubbles in it, um, the same thing is happening where the bacteria is fermenting the food that you eat and they create their own endotoxins and gases, which create pressure. And the pressure eventually causes the valves of the stomach to slip open. And with that, the regurgitation of the contents of the stomach, including the, their endotoxic gas, um, will regurgitate up the esophagus. So that's that's really what is causing the, the reflux. Right, and when we have bacteria in the stomach, the waste from that bacteria is often alkaline, which can make, uh, it can lower the acidity level in the stomach even further and kind of create this snowball effect of not good. Mm -hmm. And it can also be a big issue when you start to try to fix the problem by taking hydrochloric acid, it's going to chemically react with their alkaline excretions and it can create even more bloating initially. So sometimes there's other steps that we take to kill off the bacteria like with delimonene's heartburn free product or other anti natural antimicrobial foods like raw carrot activated charcoal even swedish bitters i've seen sure. really effective and mm-hmm. useful because of their antimicrobial properties um, and then when you kill off the bacteria you kill off you re, you eliminate the source of those alkaline metabolites and then you can add the hydrochloric acid in without such a big volcano high school science fair reaction yeah and it's the stomach acid that kind of keeps us safe from all these invaders so most people that have been on some type of ppi at any time really uh, often have stomachs filled with bacteria because they open the door to let the invader in 
Um, so sometimes you have to kind of wipe them out and then you can take steps to improve your HCL function. Um, and then at that point, you can kind of keep the bad guys out. That's what it's there for. Lee Anna from Nampa, Idaho. Drink raw milk from a local dairy. Better for you. Tastes better. And since the fat molecules are larger, no pasteurization, your body doesn't process them. Therefore, you have an amazing digestive assistant. So, you know, a lot of people, they think that the definition of digestion or bloating is, am I pooping or not? And that's that can sometimes be a symptom that goes along with those issues, but... Uh, it sounds like in Leanna's brain that um, if I have these fats it, that are not digested, it makes my poop slip bigger and I can poop better. That's what kind of what I'm. Yeah, you're not getting that from what she said at all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, no. Right. We would never know. Yeah, I mean, the you might not digest any fat if you don't have good bile flow, like that emulsifying agent, but. You definitely, if you do have good bile flow and and other enzymes needed for fat like lipase, then you you do break down the fats from dairy. And I don't, and there may be more biocompatibility with um, with goat milk or something where our the proteins are more our size. I don't know if the fat molecules are more size, but I do know like we definitely can. We have the human potential to break down the fats and dairy. You know what else where she may have gotten this from is that, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of problems with dairy, um, with processing it correctly, and it can cause a lot of distress uh, as to where raw dairy can be easier to consume for a lot of people. But if someone's truly bloating uh, because of a lack of HCL, switching to raw dairy won't improve that issue at all. Yeah. Um, usually we see improvements in the ability to digest milks when people supplement with uh, lactase, it's a digestive enzyme that normally your flora would make if you have a healthy intestinal flora population. So sometimes people benefit from just taking probiotics that increase their own internal production of lactase and other people like to do what was a milk tade was one product you milk jest milk jest yeah there's one that we sell on natural reference that seems to be very effective because a lot of times people will use an enzyme like we use you know digestive with a lot of people and that has a little bit of lactase in it but it's usually not enough to help someone who's missing that uh to be able to successfully process dairy correctly but milk jest seems to be very helpful in that regard cool Bernardo, Hollywood, Florida. I like that name, Bernardo. Yeah, and That's kind of cool. Know Florida had Hollywood. Yeah, they have fun. My sister lives near there, so. Okay. Constipation isn't fun either. No, oh, it's not. No, that's not a good time. So, why Will Schmidt, with a wolf gang in the middle, <laughs> would a person who is bloated also experience constipation? Well, the I think it relates a lot to the whole transit time thing that I was talking about earlier on when pH of the stomach isn't low enough, it doesn't trigger the gastric emptying to occur. So it'll, it can sit in the body longer and longer and the, the stomach's just waiting for that pH cue to release and it just doesn't really occur. So when the pH is not more acidic, when it's more alkaline, we'll see slower movement of the contents of the, of the digestive system 
and with that, like less frequent bowel movements. Yeah, and that's just one cause of constipation. We have another episode that covers some of the other causes. So don't think that that's the only thing to do to fix constipation. Sometimes it's not, but it's very common to see someone who's having bloating issues to also have constipation. Mm -hmm. Not always, it's just common. Well, can't the constipation cause the bloating? Like if you're not pooping, you're going to have some stuff up in there. Well, that's not really the same thing as bloating from a lack of ability to break Mm -hmm. things down and the gases that come from that, but you can just be full of poop. Yeah, there you go. Jason from Lakeland, Florida. No matter the water I drink or the cardio I do, I still have this gut. So that's not really bloated. That's just a big gut. Mm. I saw a picture of him. I think he was pushing he, his gut. He out. was kind of yeah. awesome to do that, though. He put a picture up, maybe at the gym or something. It was pretty funny. But a lot of people do feel like, oh, I'm overweight, I'm bloated. And it's, it's not always the same thing. Mm-mm. Sally from Los Angeles, California. Why do some foods that are supposed to be so good for you cause such bloat and discomfort? Eggs, yogurt, my tummy just can't take it eggs i haven't heard very many people that can't take eggs there are there's it's there's eggs is one of those foods that a lot of people create allergies to or not really maybe allergies but food sensitivities um so it's probably one of the top 10 really Mm. even though it's probably the best food on the planet um but are the top 10 types of foods like usually it's grains uh dairy legumes and then nightshade vegetables and then maybe eggs Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but anyways, uh, when you look at anything that your body's having a hard time processing, it can create distress like this. And we know Sally, we've talked to her before about some other digestive issues that so we had. So we know that there are some digestive problems that would create some foods to be problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few primary factors we like to look at. And it's, do you have enough stomach acid? Do you have good bioflow? What's the the state of your intestinal tract like do you have healthy flora in there do you have good water flow going through your body Uh, and are you taking anything that would really interfere with with digestion so when we cover those and then we improve those primary aspects of digestion we usually see a lot of these food sensitivities kind of clear out and one thing that i really dislike it's a very common trend lately is people getting food sensitivity and food allergy tests done and then they stay away from all these foods at the like an IgG or an IgE allergy test. They'll be like, oh, I thought I could eat blueberries, but apparently I'm highly reactive to them. I never uh-huh. noticed that, but apparently like the worst food on the world for me. But they don't have any symptom reactions to them at all when they eat them. They eat them from their years. So some of these these tests that are out there and that are very popular show a lot of false positives where they say you're allergic to things, but you're not actually. And, the, and there's a lot of clinical research showing like there, there is not good accuracy to these tests, but they're right. very profitable. Um, so all these double-blind studies, they show like there's a ton of false positives that come through on these tests, but people still sell them because they can still make money off them. So you really need to go by your own body's actual reaction when you eat a food. If you're noticing an issue with it, try fixing your digestion, and if you do like get your stomach acid levels on point and your bile is flowing well and you see that and you're still having sensitivities to particular food, try taking it out for a while and see if your body um, really does better without it or not. But 
try not to get thrown off by a test that says you're allergic to something if you don't actually experience any allergy. Right. Chapter 9 in our book, Kick Your Fat in the Nuts, is all about learning how to first fix digestion and then removing some specific food groups for 30 days and then seeing if things improve for you. And if they do, then we teach you how to put them back in one food at a time every few days so that you can see, okay, is did I do okay with that? You don't want to put all the foods back in time because then if you back at one time, because then if your symptoms come back, you won't know what did it. So those ways seem to be much more effective, uh, effective instead of someone... Uh, doing some type of allergy test and says that you're allergic to soy, wheat, gluten, and lewd diamond Phillips. Right. And yet, we didn't invent that reintroduction thing. It's uh, common in, like, allergy elimination diet or another term for it is, like, the autoimmune protocol, paleo autoimmune protocol. You can right. Google that if you want. Sharon, the pain, sharp and intense. Sometimes I cannot walk. It's so bad. Yeah, so this is confuses people a lot. Do you want to explain like what can be going on with our intestinal tract when we're having pain from eating? We yeah. should be able to eat food. Yeah, you can have. Um, sometimes it's from actual pressure from gas, like gas pain, that is it's creating like a structural stress on your intestinal tract. And other times you can actually have cramping in the intestinal muscles themselves, just like you could get a cramp in your foot, and that can come from cellular energy depletion. Uh, but a lot of the times when we see issues of poorly digested food, like if you have low stomach acid or if your bile isn't flowing well, then um, it can be it can be related to endotoxic gas production from bacteria in the digestive tract that's causing the pain. Right, and if you took your intestines out of your body and you like tied them to the door and then slammed the door and you stretched that intestine, you would be like, oh, that really hurts. So that's kind of what can go on when this gas is in that system and expanding those tissues, it can be painful. Mm -hmm. Susie, mine is much better with the HCL. So let's talk for a second about how we help people fix bloating. We haven't even really covered that really. Yeah, well, there's things you can do to improve your own hydrochloric acid production. Uh, And sometimes it's strongest and most effective to actually supplement directly with uh, betaine HCL and we'll ramp people up with that where they start with a small dosage of uh, just one capsule, which the capsules we use is usually around 500 milligrams or so. So you start off by taking just one capsule at a meal that has protein in it. And then if that does okay, then the next meal or the next day, whatever pace you're comfortable at, you double it and you take two. And then the next day, you try taking three per meal and you build up to taking about five capsules worth if you need it, if you need that much to effectively eliminate the symptoms of insufficient hydrochloric acid. So if you build up to four capsules, let's say, which is about 2,000 milligrams uh, at a specific meal, and you notice you don't have reflux anymore, you don't have bloating anymore, you're not constipated anymore, um, that's awesome. And you might not need to ramp all the way up to five. Or conversely, it might be too much if you start to get like diarrhea or loose stools. You might not be able to handle that much hydrochloric acid. So you want to find that perfect amount for you that eliminates the symptoms of insufficient hydrochloric acid, but doesn't go so far as to create an acidic diarrhea. All right. So let's talk about uh, beet greens and the and bile flow and the importance of doing that if someone is going to supplement with HCL. Because we don't let anybody... 
supplement with just HCL without ensuring that bile is flowing. So let's explain why that's important. Yeah. So before you do any of that, even that first single capsule of HCL, you would want to make sure that you have good bile flow occurring. So there's markers that show you don't have good bile flow occurring, and that would be if your stool is light in color, if you already have like diarrhea, if your um, if you use the urine dipstick test that we talk about in the self-test and you see bilirubin or urobilogen on the dipstick, if your stool is light in color, like the color of cardboard, as opposed to a nice dark color like a forest floor, all those are indications that you may not have good bile flow. Or yeah, acne or skin issues can be another one, or a, a saliva pH that's lower than 6.5 can be another. Yeah, so any of those markers you'd want to try to fix first before introducing HCL. And we usually use either or both uh, beet flow, which is mostly an extract concentrate of the greens that grow on beets. Right, so not beetroot. That doesn't do the same thing. Right, the greens... They just have this really great, like, powerful effect on bile to help it be more fluid. So it'll help dissolve uh, gallstones and create more fluid, better, um, better flowing bile. And then sometimes, if that isn't enough to just take beet flow for a couple of days, sometimes we'll use a technique called the beet flow flush, where you'll take like a bunch of beet flow in the morning. Essentially, <laughs> it's basically four, four capsules, time. four capsules every thirty minutes. Um, for one morning, like with, with breakfast, so you take four at breakfast. Thirty minutes later, four more. Thirty minutes later, four more. Thirty minutes later, four more. So sixteen total, and that's usually enough to trigger the bile to really start working well. And if that isn't enough, then sometimes we'll also turn towards coffee suppositories. Like uh, one brand we like is called Zeniplex. Spelled X-E-N-E-P-L-E-X. It's on naturalreference.com also, and that can help um, stimulate bile flow in a different way by. The coffee in the suppository works by dilating the biliary pathway, which is like the little um, anatomical tree of of, of like tubes, tubes yeah. <laughs> essentially that the bile is supposed to flow through. So they work together by working on the bile consistency itself with beet flow, and on the path that the bile flows through with the enema. And did we talk about the importance of the bile's ability to neutralize the acid that leaves the stomach, and that's why it's so important? To... No, not today. Okay. But in every other episode. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so without bile flowing well, when the stomach, when all the food leaves the stomach, if that bile doesn't meet that, that's called a bolus um, or the chyme. It's a fancy word for it. If the bile doesn't combine with that acidic food sludge in the duodenum we got a big acidic mess burning through the intestinal tract. So it's really important that the bile does that to neutralize the pH of the acidic food sludge leaving the stomach, but also to effectively emulsify the fats that are present in the food because stomach acid doesn't do that to the fats. So we need that. Um, and we also need the role of the alkaline bath that bile gives to kill off any of the pathogens that survive the acidic bath in the stomach. So that's kind of why it's so important to, before someone supplements with HCL to fix their bloating, you really want to make sure bile is flowing well so that you can fix that. Mm -hmm. 
All right, James from Nixon, Missouri. Hate to say it, but I have bloating at the end of the day. Still, I have gone through two rounds of heartburn free, spaced several months apart, and right now I'm taking sea salt in capsules and oregano oil, also in capsules I feel, and using Pepto-Bismol, just started, but max seven days, because I can feel poor digestion and alkaline stomach a few hours after I eat even taking HCL, also beet flow, and I believe my red nose and the fact that I can't lose the last 10 pounds to show off my abs is directly related. Guy, the reason I'm not going after it stronger is my PCP had my physical in the middle of my last heartburn-free protocol, and now I have to go in for blood tests every three months because my kidneys were not filtering like a 43-year-old kidney should. Bah. Thinking the next <laughs> step is pylorcin, pylor, pylorcin? Uh-huh. and mastic gum. We shall see. No need to read this morass on the podcast, though. Too oh, late. No. Oh, there we go. Um, but So let's talk a little What's about... What's PCP? Uh, I think it means practitioner. Oh. Something like that. Um, but so this is a case where uh, it's more difficult to fix the bloating problem because like we said, a lot of people, all they do is add HCL and the beef flow and, they're, and they're, it's a whole new world for them. But... If someone has an aggressive bacterial infection in the stomach, it can be very difficult to wipe them out because they're kind of like ninjas a lot of times, Um, especially like if it's an H. pylori thing. And that's what James was talking about. I think I've mentioned this on a show before that... um, that blood vessel breakages or problems where someone has like a, a red nose is correlated with an H. pylori infection. And I don't understand why that is. I just know that quite a few people have found that uh, connection. Um, but in any case, if the bacteria in the stomach has created some type of biofilm or they're very good at climbing up into the mucus layer every time there's acid in the stomach, they can kind of stay protected and uh, survive even though you're adding acid into the stomach. So for a lot of people, um, they need to do more than just HCL. They have to take steps to wipe it out. So one of the steps that we use is this D-limonene stuff. Mm-hmm. That works really well, but it's very pro-catabolic. So that's why a person can only use it every couple days or so. And your poop turns black. Once you kill a lot of bacteria, that can happen with a lot of different supplements. But um, let's explain a little bit why uh, kidney function would diminish if someone pushed themselves way too catabolic. Sure. If too much water is, if not enough water is going through the kidneys, rather, and too much is then going through the colon instead, then we'll see in, like the kidneys will, they won't be like that nice fluid uh, filter system. They won't just have. They won't have enough water flow going through them to help sufficiently, continuously clear out all the debris and all the filtrate. So, if an individual is going way too catabolic, we'll see that kind of issue occur in the kidneys and just not having enough water flow going through it for it to work ideally. Right. So, if someone has a strong aggressive bacterial infection, especially if it's H. pylori, it can take a lot of work. And you can go to kickitinthenuts.com and search for H. pylori. And uh, I have a blog post there that shows a big, long protocol that we use that has quite a few things in it. And pylorisin is one of the very effective things that we use and looks like James is looking to try that next. 
Yeah, there's some other really great um, anti-natural sort of antibiotics that are, are helpful for a lot of people. Pylorisin, the whole protocol you mentioned with the zinc, that's usually part of that as well, is is important. I've also seen people have really good success when they start to, um, when they try either Swedish bitters or um, with meals or taking activated charcoal first thing in the morning can also help. Uh, literally, it sequesters a lot of the endotoxic production oh, from sure, the bacteria. Yeah. So that's a powerful adjunct to, that can help reduce bloating by it actually absorbs like a lot of the gases. That Just the, don't take that with the meal because you'll increase bloating. Yeah. Because it, it can interfere with digestion, but taking it away from meals can be useful. Also, raw carrots have a pretty powerful, well-documented antimicrobial impact, so that can also help reduce endotoxins. And I like Bugs Bunny. It's nice. So, um, but if you're trying to lose weight, carrots have sugar, so but not whatever. so severe. I think you know, especially you know, I think George talks a lot about uh, how doing one carrot just from the fiber uh, benefits that it could do. Uh, a day, you know, especially if you're having that with a meal, it's it's not going to be too much for most people. And yeah. the apple cider vinegar at the end of a meal also helps and stuff. That can be beneficial too, as long as a person isn't too anabolic, which we cover in other episodes if you need to mm-hmm. learn more about that. And then also um, avoiding problematic fibers is also an important move if you're bloating. Like grains can be a huge contributing factor to that. Other, if you're eating too many like uh, raw vegetables that your body's having a hard time breaking down, those fibers like cellulose, we don't really have the enzymes to break down and they will get fermented by intestinal flora and can cause gas. So if a food that you're eating, like you notice, oh, I I tried eating tomatoes or something like that, and whatever it is, leafy greens, could make you bloated, try cooking them and see if you're able to then digest them and without bloating. And if it's like a... If it's a fruit, even you can even sometimes cook or juice them if you if you don't have uh, sugar issues that you need to really worry about. But a lot of times we need to like troubleshoot: are there problematic fibers in your diet that are causing and contributing to the bloating? All right, Kim, I'd like to hear your ideas about probiotics and fermented foods as it applies to this topic. Holly, my sister is dealing with an overabundance of yeast, which she thinks is being exacerbated by her newfound love of kombucha. If that ties into this subject, would love to hear your input. Will loves to talk about kombucha, so I'll let him handle it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, too much probiotics and and probiotic food is a is a dangerous thing. So, a lot of the inflammation and sort of puffiness and that sort of stuff that we talked about earlier uh, can be caused by excess endotoxins in the body. And we can get too much lactic acid and too much, um, too many probiotics in our system where it'll increase the amount of lactic acid that is present. And some intestinal flora makes lactic acid that's a, a form that is molecularly identical to the lactic acid that our muscles make, like when you flex a muscle. Is this all that L-spin, yeah. R-spin? Yeah. I'm taking the couch Yeah, course. you got it. You got now. it. So, there, yeah, there's <laughs> right? left spin and right spin, or L and D. It's very confusing lettering, but just know that there's a type of lactic acid. There's a normal metabol- metabolite of cellular uh, energy production, like when you do a bicep curl, like you create this specific type of lactic acid that your body recycles and it keeps It can be using. turned into glucose and used for fuel. It's great. You know, yeah, good time. It's, you, it's normal to be in there. It's part of the energy cycle. But there's another type of lactic acid that 
is molecularly very similar, but is not able to get back into that nice circuit. It can interfere with the whole energy cycle, and it can build up and inhibit energy production and regular cellular respiration. And diabetic cells largely create that kind of lactic acid, as well as some intestinal flora. So certain types of bacteria in our gut can contribute this uh, inappropriate type of lactic acid, and it can build up and really impair your energy production, create brain fog, and and uh, it's, a, it's a problem. And the confusion is that there's a lot of probiotics that can be very beneficial for a lot of people. And when somebody hears that, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to drink kombucha out of a hose nonstop, you know, and think that if a little bit of something is good, then more of everything is better. Yeah. And that's Look not where the that case. thinking got me. Right. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit of his chocolate's good. Yeah. His whole truck is... What else is tricky, too, is just like your own cells, like say you didn't have diabetes before, but now you do, they change the kind of lactic acid they're producing. The same can happen with intestinal flora. They can actually change from being like, oh, this was the good kind of flora, and now it's mutated into this way. Now it creates this lousy kind of lactic acid, which is why like probiotic companies have to say, like, like in our product, we put L. salivaris at the time of manufacturing. You know, you have to say at the time of manufacturing because they can morph and create this. So it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And you need to create an environment that encourages the healthy kind of bacteria to, to survive and discourages the, the harmful kind. So I do think that yeast could be exacerbated by excessive consumption of kombucha. It's part of it. And that can, just like a lot of people have a, a lot of issues um, with the body ecology diet. They love it at first, and then they're like, oh, I feel weird. They're doing it for a while. It's because they're getting too many probiotics and too much lactate from that. So um, you don't want to overdo it. You want to just create a nice, healthy system where there's good water flow, properly sterilized food from your stomach acid and bile, and creates a nice neutral pH where flora can live. And know that your food contains bacteria on it and then a lot of it will like survive and and propagate in your digestive system just like if you make compost you don't have to add like you don't have to add a special composting mix it will naturally compost because bacteria will find it and ferment that food and break it down so you don't have to continually pour more uh, flora into your gut cool Hillary from Los Angeles, California. I thought bloating was made better by coffee enemas and eating more fat to thin and release bile. Susie, I have found my bloating increase when I stopped the beet flow. So there's probably a little bit of confusion here. Basically speaking, in most cases, um, the bloating issues are going to be improved by improving stomach acid. And there's a lot of other issues that will be improved by fixing bile flow. But at the same time, we know that for proper digestion, you have to have both aspects of that digestion working. So there's a lot of foods that could be causing distress or problems. And when you improve bile flow, it would improve, especially when you're looking at foods that contain fats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and fat, and especially cholesterol-type fats like egg yolks, are important for the not only your hormone balance, but your hormone balance, but also for the formation of bile itself. Christine from Kaiser, Kaiser, Missouri. Did someone say drink raw milk? But won't that make you go to the bathroom? So Let me drink, read all these together, because they're all about the milk. Oh, okay, sure. Stephanie from Sanford, North Carolina. 
I drank it since I was a child, and no, it does not. Vicky from Amarillo, Texas. Yes, it does. Oh, my God. Christine, I used to be able to drink milk, eat ice cream, but now if I do, gotta be close enough to the bathroom. So, we'll... What we'll do is we'll send you guys over to our IBS episode, but before we do, we'll, we'll say that if a food makes you go to the bathroom, it's not always that food's fault, really. It's a, it, it could have to do with the way that your body is, is processing that food or a sensitivity that has been created from your body of that food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to know, like, some people get constipated when they eat dairy, and some people get the runs. Like, right. You know, so and some people get tooty. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really about does your body have the ability to process that food correctly? And if it doesn't, that food is creating a burden to the body. And sometimes the solution for that burden is I'm going to shoot it out the back door at like 30 miles an hour. Nice. If you guys want to sound as smart as I'm starting to sound, you have to take the, the coach right? course. Right? Yeah, is that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm She's serious. Know Hello. I'm actually understanding your podcast now. Yes. <laughs> Whereas before I slept. Um, so you can learn more about how to become a health coach or even just dig into more advanced teachings for yourself or your family. Go to healthprocourse.com to learn about Tony and Will's amazing course for coaches. Registration for this course only opens to the public for about a week at a time. So be sure to register for the coach newsletter so you'll be notified when the next registration opens you'll find more info at healthprocourse.com and we've had a few people kind of starting to take it just to you know uh, get feedback and everything and so far it's it appears that we're awesome that's good. Yeah. I don't know if y'all take it that far, but it's a good course. <laughs> it's a thing. Good course. Even, even Kenna was impressed, which is like unbelievable to have, for that to happen. I, so. I know, I know. I'll probably forget it all the day that I'm done, but uh-huh. hey, then I'll have it to go back and review. Uh-huh. And of course, I'm only reading the parts that apply to me. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so today all of our listeners can get a free audiobook from audible.com. Just go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook for details. And if you want, to uh what's the what am i looking for here oh if you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry you can read any of tony's books or take the free four-week digestion course at kickitinthenuts.com where can they find stuff for will wolfgang schmidt they can find stuff for will wolfgang schmidt um at mybodyofknowledge.net he has a bunch of fancy blogs and you've got exercises and posture stuff right Mm -hmm. yeah a bunch of cool stuff yeah so we'll see you next week all right. Well, bye. Bye bye. bye.